HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Hearst Ranch Grass-Fed Beef. Available on the internet at hearstranch.com. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes.
Welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz, sitting across from me, daintily eating salad. There's nothing dainty about that. Um, is Darren? Heyo. Uh, first off, we've got um, the boys from Saint Awesome. You did not. I don't think that's right. I tried to like com- compose Awesome and the name together. Awesome, right? Yeah. Right. I dig it. Yeah, and um, Fetzau, Spine Dival, and a numerous of other. Uh, projects. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. You guys want to introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Joe Carroll. I am the proprietor, and I'm Evil, and uh, I'm the chef at Saint Anselm. Uh, so, why don't you give us a little bit of a backstory on how, um, you know, your little corner Williamsburg uh, restaurant empire ha- became to be? Uh, really, by accident. I was working in the music business for a decade. That. My background was in music. I studied musicology in school. My dad was a booking agent. I never thought I would do anything else with my life outside of music. And then this thing called Napster happened. Hmm. And, uh, it, and you know, when it, when it came about and I was in the, in the business working with all the labels, it was kind of like, oh, come on, give me a break. How is this going to really you know, have any kind of impact? No one, saw the, no one saw the writing on the wall? Well, no, no one. And that's, you know, that's a bigger point, but... When I started at the, at the major labels in like 93, most of the executives didn't know how to turn their computer on, which right. was just shocking to me that you know, these major media companies w- were just so clueless about technology. And you know, their feeling was they, they ran the show. They were the cash cows. They were the big guys in the room, and nobody was going to dictate to them how they were going to sell their music. Um, they were wrong. I guess, uh, <laughs> I guess before the idea that music and media could be free with the exception of, you know, buying movies on the street, bootleg, right. things like that. Right. I can understand why people would have no idea what it would turn into. Yeah, it was not only did they not foresee it being free or, or really democratized, but it was just being clueless of the technology that, right. that could enable it. They could have, you know, this could have been a very different story had they been hipper to it in say 95 or 94 you know and kind of been on the on the cutting edge of the technology end of it which they were not at all i i always wonder if the music industry had embraced online digital technology if we'd be sitting at a if we wouldn't seen the collapse of the entire industry i don't think so at least not the way it happened and the point was as as it got worse and worse with each passing year they they doubled down. On oh, the, they on kept their, doubling down. Yeah, suing. Standpoint. I mean, my favorite is when you'd hear about things about you know grandmothers who were getting right. sued because their grandson yep. was had downloaded 
one or two copyrighted songs for a million dollars. Right. And you just, you know, they start just becoming someone very mm-hmm. easy to hate. Oh yeah, no question. So the uh, the writing was on the wall. Yeah, the writing was certainly on sorry, the wall. Sorry, sorry. I always, right. I always, I always wonder, you know, about that. The writing was. Sir, I was working for a trade magazine that, um, up until this time, was probably the most powerful overall influence at the record labels and at radio. Can you say who? Hits magazine. Okay. And uh, because I'm not in business anymore, I don't come care if they come after me. Right. <laughs> but um, Hits magazine was really powerful. They they controlled radio and retail, and they placed most of the executives at the record labels. They were they were huge, and they had a gigantic impact. And if you didn't play the game with Hits, you probably didn't get much airplay, and you probably didn't do very well at retail either. And now they are a footnote in the whole scheme of the record industry at this point. Um, so when things dried up with, with Hits, I, I started working a little bit on the, um, the internet end of the music industry, and then that quickly you know the the march was it march 99 or march 2000 i forget now what what year it was it was a while ago when when you know things kind of collapsed on the on the internet and and oh, yeah, early two th- the dot-com bus yeah and not a great time no and you know it was i was going for looking for jobs back at the labels and so was everybody else who throughout the you know mid to late 90s left the you know normal Old school. So you're competing with people in a saturated field that all yeah. have similar. They, you know, I was competing with, with senior VPs, people who were you know 10, 15 years older than me and had been around a lot longer and made a lot more money than me. So I realized I knew from that point on that my days in the industry were done. Right. And and I didn't want to go down with the ship. Quite frankly, it was you know I wasn't going to just do it to do it. I realized one day it was a difficult decision. It was a hard pill to swallow because I only thought I would ever do that. And then one day, as I was looking through Hits magazine, I realized as I'm looking through the charts that. I don't really care about any of these any of these artists. Right? It's not like who was big at that time. Oh, God, that was the worst of it. Oh, was it the, that, the that Boy was Street? A, that was the Backstreet Boys, oh. Christina Aguilera, all that. You know, that's what was, what was ruling the day back then. And nothing was more frustrating because I was writing for an A and R column, and a lot of what we had to do was was shop artists to lawyers to the record labels and so forth. And nothing was more fr- frustrating than going to you know heads of A and R departments that I knew fairly well playing the music and having them blown away by the music and saying, I love this, man, but I can't, I can't sign this. They won't let me sign this. There's no way. And that, that was, I think, a, a year of that made me realize, what am I doing? What, right. you know, what the hell's going on? So anyway, I freaked out for a while. I, I had turned 30 and was no longer working in music, and I actually left Manhattan. I was living in, in Manhattan for years, and the building I was in uh, was rent stabilized, and the stabilization expired. My rent went up like $1,000. I moved out back out to Jersey from where, where I'm from to my parents' house. They own a four-family house, so I got an, an apartment in the house I grew up in for, uh, for very cheap. Um, my girlfriend and I, who's now my wife, and it didn't really affect me. I was, I was working from home mostly then, but she was commuting from Jersey now like to just a couple blocks away from where we used to live. And uh, we did that for a while, and like I said, I kind of freaked out, didn't know what I was going to do. Had an idea for a beer bar that you know, quite frankly, I thought I would do when I retired, not when I was, you know, turning 30. And Well, your retirement just got pushed over right. a little bit. <laughs> That's true, exactly. And, but I had, no, I had no background in the business, man. I didn't, you know, I worked for about five months for uh, this Belgian restaurant in Manhattan called Belgo in between jobs. Basically, because I... I I'm sorry. Yeah, they Bel- really... They Belgo? Spend, do you remember Belgo? No, no but no, how no, long no. they spent on that name? 
Oh, well, Belgo, see, <laughs> Belgo is an interesting story in and of itself. Belgo is this uh, restaurant in Covent Garden in London that blew up, became huge, and they opened up another couple of ones in the UK. And then they came to the States thinking they were going to be equally as huge. And, you know, it was a combination of the fact that they were, like, the seventh Belgian restaurant to open up in New York, not the first. And they came in thinking they were really going to, you know, do some damage in the New York restaurant market and didn't have a clue. And they lasted 18 months. And the food was good and the concept was great. They spent probably millions more than they should have on the build-out. But um, I think I learned more from working there because they were so screwed up and, and wrongheaded and they made so many mistakes that I learned more from that than had I gone to work. Yeah, you got to see all the mistakes in five months. You got to Absolutely. see all a uh, real crash course. Right. As long as it's not your failure. Exactly. Right? Somebody else's money. And um, and then I went back to work in the music business after that for a while and, and then all this stuff happened. So I had this idea. My, my girlfriend uh, talked, like I said, now my wife talked me into doing it and we took, uh, my, my dad had given me a little money. I'd saved up money for uh, buying an apartment in the city and then put the rest of the money on credit cards and just kind of went for it like cluelessly not really no- I mean I knew beer really well I knew exactly the concept I wanted but I had no idea about the business itself I figured I'd you know I'd figure it out but the point was that like I went into it thinking look I just gotta you know make this work so I can pay my bills I just want to be happy not working for somebody else and that was the key so you you kept the music ideals of you know being your own boss and just transferred it over yeah and that was a tough thing for me because i worked for this magazine for so many years that's based out of california i was their only employee in new york i didn't have a boss or an office look you know that i had to deal with every day and i knew it was going to be tough for me to just go work in some cubicle somewhere so that was kind of out of the question right and like i said you know we went into it with relatively low expectations we didn't need to make tons of money doing this that wasn't the point the point was just to not work for somebody else and pay our bills and live happy and be cool um but i knew i didn't want to be a bartender and we bartended there uh my wife kim and i bartended there for the first couple of years nonstop. and first of all that's bartending is a, a really physical grueling job especially just as in new york in is. yeah especially in new york and you get crowded and you know you're working your ass off on a weekend <laughs> night and lugging kegs and cases and it's just just beach up my back was messed up for about a year after I stopped working behind the bar and it's just you know your feet and legs are a mess and um and I, I just wasn't as good at it as other people you know and um <laughs> yeah, working in which the kitchen. is actually like I mean and you know that actually I want to I want to get to that a little bit later but between the two of you but recognizing your strengths and weaknesses and being honest about that Oh, it's huge. It's yeah. like, it's, oh, I know we laugh, but like, that's a big thing. You're like, I'm fucking no, no, qu- no question. Yeah. No, no question. And I knew my, my strength was in my knowledge of what the product was I was selling and the concept and, and how to execute that concept. I knew I was good at doing those things. Um, so I knew that once we were able to, we basically lived off very little money the first few years, paid back all our debt in about 18 months. That's amazing. And, wow. Yeah. We were, you know, we were lucky. Right out of the box, we were doing fairly well. Well enough that, you know, we could live meagerly and, and also pay all our debt back. So 18 months of paying off our, all our debt, and all of a sudden it, it was, well, hey, maybe we could do this again some other way, you know? And I had a lot of different ideas of things I wanted to do. And what year is this? Well, we opened in 03. We, went, we opened Spite and Dival September 03. And I probably, Kim and I probably worked behind the bar until 05, 06, somewhere around there. Um, I tapered off the last year or so. I only worked like Friday nights. Um, and I had a, probably four or so different ideas of things I wanted to do next. And I remember I, I had to go to uh, jury duty, and I came back. It was this 
kind of crappy rainy winter day and um jd who owns oslo coffee around the corner from us told me about the space across the street from me that was available for rent and uh i went to take a look at it and it was this old mechanics garage and it was small and it was kind of i don't know it's gonna be tough to pull something off in here but i knew right away that the barbecue idea i had mm-hmm. would, would work really well here would fit really well I'd been into barbecue for a long time, taught myself how to barbecue. The first few years we were open at Spite and we would close on the 4th of July. I would smoke meat all night long and invite all our regulars in and our, our staff and everything. And we'd have this big barbecue party. Um, so I really wanted to do a barbecue place. I felt like it wasn't uh, wasn't being represented terribly well in New York City. At least uh, even if the food was good at some of these places, the, the whole vibe just didn't match up. You know, it was you know white tablecloths and wine lists just to me don't equate yeah. with a barbecue place you know and so when i saw this this garage i realized all right this is this is a cool space to do this to do this barbecue thing in and again i you know not having the background i i my, my managers and, and friends and everybody tease me still to this day that i was trying to convince myself and everyone else that we were really just opening a bar that happened to have some barbecue as food. <laughs> right and is, that, is that how you felt when you were in the kitchen just a bar that just happened to have yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> we realized no. I think opening night that that was not going to be the case uh, I was there opening night were you really yes I was you know something hap- happened that I've since obviously I'm very aware of today but back then I, I just didn't I, I had no reference point to it and that was food blogs yeah. and you know, when I opened Spite, nobody knew who I was or what I was going on. We just opened the door one night and started doing business. And it started catching on. And very quickly, we started getting some good press. What I didn't realize is that press was sort of building over, the, over those first three years or so. And when word kind of slowly leaked out that we were doing this barbecue place, it hit the food blogs. And people started really buzzing about it, unbeknownst to me. So when we opened opening night, we were just overwhelmed. We had no idea that it was the line was going to be down the block. We were going to run out of food at 9 o'clock. <laughs> And that so was how, sort of the beginning of, of it all. So how did you two meet, or when did you come to the picture? Uh, a couple of years after I, you were open a already. Year, a year or two later. I think only a year later I you started, came on. Yeah, I was taking a break from cooking. I was just delivering food on my bike. So I started working one day a week, or a couple of days a week, delivering food for Fetisal, then got a meat-cutting shift. I feel like when I first <laughs> met you, <laughs> and we were doing the... Uh, the, the shows at McCarran Pool. That yeah. It was right around, so I think that was the, the next summer. We yeah, I would yet. fill in here and there yeah. and do stuff just kind of randomly. Right. Uh, so we're going to just take a quick musical break, and then I want to talk about the relationship you two have about developing the, the menu for the new restaurant and sure. growth and Williamsburg and, and the barbecue this Wednesday. barbecue this Wednesday. Champion, a beacon of society. 
Slammer on the weekend when it's that pretty? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Our, you know, we, in I think Brooklyn in general, works on oh, yeah. the reverse model as Manhattan. Uh, in the warm weather in the summer, on the weekends, we're the busiest. Whereas in Manhattan, the summer weekends are usually the quietest because yeah. everyone's out of town. You know? uh, so, Fetisal uh, goes well. A space across the street opens up next to Spite and Dive. Hold on, wait, 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 wait. We skipped over something. Because we only got to the opening day of Fetisal and then right. like a year in. Uh, how did you deal with uh, the whole urban barbecue scene, and where did you guys fit in? You know, I, I, honestly, I don't really pay attention to any of that stuff. I kind of—I I mean, I, I know what's going on. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not like caught up in it. I'm not concerned about what other people are doing. I'm only concerned what I do. So I'm going to do what I do, regardless of what anything else is going on around me. You know, 
Um, And so I I really didn't think about how we fit in. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And that was that, you know? Um, Yeah. I never really gave it much thought. I I know Matt Lang, who was the chef who opened Feta with me, I purposely hired because he was young, inexperienced and had no barbecue background. Beautiful. And it was perfect for me because we were not trying to be North Carolina barbecue or Texas barbecue. Or Sometimes it's just good to start with a blank slate. Yeah. I mean, understanding food and business, oh, obviously, yeah. but, you know. No, I knew he he could, you know, he could cook. I, I was confident in that. And uh, he seemed like he had his head on his shoulders. I knew him marginally well. He was a regular at, at Spite and Dival. And uh, he was working at the Pearl Oyster Bar. And I, I really, though, what attracted me is he didn't have a barbecue background. And that's also what I liked about Yvonne. And what's your process? Do you smoke? Do you get like what, guys talk about how you actually make your barbecue? Yeah, um, everything. I mean, bar, look, barbecue is a technique. So, and that that's the whole point, really. Is it's not you're not working off recipes. So I had a, a dry rub I came up with when I first got into barbecuing, and and you know it was kind of I, I liked the way it worked. I used it. I used it at that point on pretty much everything I did. And aside from that, it, it was just staying true to the technique of barbecuing which is just cooking slow and low with hardwood smoke you know and it's that simple now we took that technique and applied it to a lot of cuts that up until that point really had never been barbecued before from shockingly you know something like pork belly to things like flank steak or beef cheeks Mm -hmm. and things like that um and we still do that all the time. I think we're kind of known for that a bit, especially the belly. Definitely, oh yeah, it's kind of become our signature. That but, pork belly sandwiches. Yeah, I mean the belly, the belly and the brisket are my my two favorite things yeah. there by far. But, um, so I think you know the idea was, I wanted a, a barbecue that was very traditional in the technique, but but really tuned into what um, New York food and, and a New York sensibility was all about, and not trying to cop. I look, I'm from I'm from North Jersey, man. I'm not from. Texas or Memphis or you know, and I there's wasn't good barbecue to do that. in Jersey. <laughs> Better barbecue in Jersey than some places in New York sometimes. Yeah, there's some decent barbecue, especially down. You know, people don't know they're down south, um, like west of Atlantic City in that area, in in the Pine Barren area. There's a lot of in the summertime. There's a lot of like these little guys doing like chicken and ribs, yeah. smoking them out on the roadside, and it's amazing stuff. And it really, you know, you drive down there in the summer, and you might as well be in North Carolina or something like that. So then, how did you? So you two. So you're delivering a bike. Then you start butchering things like that. Then how did you guys come together, work together, and start? You know, open up Santa Sam. Well, Matt worked for me for two years, and his parents were going to give him money down in Baltimore, where he's from, to open up a place. And Yvonne was, without a doubt, the the most obvious choice to take over from there. Yeah. You know, well, and so so Yvonne, I took over for Matt. Yeah, and ran Fedesal for. And it was you know it was it was perfect timing too because. Matt was great and, and the type of person that was needed for the, the early days because he like literally slept on the picnic tables there the first like couple of weeks we were open. So it was you know we needed somebody young and and kind of like somebody who didn't didn't care really and just had to do what it, whatever it took. And then when Yvonne came in, it was perfect timing because Yvonne really knew how to run the kitchen and manage the kitchen and really get everyone in in you know kind of fighting shape. And uh, so you know uh, definitely Yvonne took the the management of the kitchen to a whole nother level there, you know, and the running of the running of the place to a whole nother level. Um, and that was exactly what was needed at that point in time. Cause we had really sort of blown up, you know? And then, so how did you guys transition from there to the new restaurant and how did you create the menu together and like the role of almost like the restaurant here and the, the chef and then, and also 
how did you say that, okay, we've done all that, we can do Fed Sal, let's go? Because it's a little bit more fine dining at St. Assam. Because normally it's the other way. Normally it's the, you do the fine dining right. and then you do the casual, but you went bar, barbecue, bistro, well, in that order. <laughs> you know, St. Anselm was supposed to be a hamburger and hot dog joint and was for a few months. And, um, I'm trying to remember if I remember, right, it was like, it was like, we were making our own sausage. We were doing kind of I remember. some like American, cl- like you know, and you had like more of a deli counter. No, it was, it was kind of set up the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but it, it look, I, I, it was a great idea. The food was was great. The, the burgers and dogs were exactly what we wanted, and I, I felt like we really nailed it. But the space was never right for it, and we had some issues with the buildings department with the space. We had to close down, and we had to tear up Metropolitan Avenue and put a new water main in, and all this crazy stuff, and. I knew when I knew we had to close at that point. Uh, the other thing too is, you know, Williamsburg isn't the greatest lunch neighborhood, so you know, people want to eat burgers and dogs for lunch, not for dinner. You know, I mean, I've lived here for seven years, and every time lunchtime rolls around, I go, "What am I eating for lunch?" Right. And it can't be C again. Right. <laughs> but there's not, you know, a lot of people work in Manhattan, so it gets quiet during the afternoons here. It's yeah. not as busy as it is at night. So all that in mind, I knew we had to close for a while, and I knew it would give me an opportunity to really reformulate the place and um i went to yvonne and asked him if if he wanted to be part of it and kind of had a sketch of an idea at that point but we kicked around a few others and um i think it was probably i don't know what do you think it was like last february or january when we like said all right this is this is what we're gonna do this is the yeah. concept um yeah somewhere around there yeah, yeah. and then what are, you know what is the process machine do of like adding and taking things off the menu or how does that type of dialogue happen I mean, you just try things out. You know, we were trying out recipes and different cuts of meats and just try them out, have people come over and get feedback. And then, you know, we then, you, then you got your menu. And then once you open, if something really just doesn't move, you got to... Was there anything on there that uh, you saw as a surprise or one of you fought for and there was like, I don't know, we'll have to wait and see and it, and it really took off? I think we were all, we were both pretty much on the same page with what we wanted. Um there was a couple of things we did take off because either mostly because they weren't working the way we wanted them to. Yeah. We didn't, they, you know, it never really became what we thought it would be, you know, or just too labor intensive or just too much space on the grill. Was the right. main thing, you know, that I love that grill that you guys have in there and it's just, uh, it's rocking out a night. I think when I came to drop off the posters for the barbecue uh, Wednesday, I think I got 10 seconds and I felt bad for taking the 10 seconds from you. Uh, speaking of barbecue Wednesday, you guys are going to be kicking off our first barbecue blowout, which is now in its fifth year. Uh, it's going to be taking place, for those of you who don't know, at the back of Good Company. Free entry, $10 a plate. All of our VIP advanced tickets are sold out. Um, you want to tell us what's on the menu? Yeah, I'm going to do um, some uh, St. Louis-style ribs. That It's going to be a different rub than that feta sal, but we have them smoked. We're going to smoke them over at Fetisal. Um And then I'm going to have a sirloin tip steak. Just going to grill huge steaks and slice them up. And uh, I'm going to make a kohlrabi uh, coleslaw and some grilled potato wedges. And uh, there'll be some bread pudding as well. Amazing. I'm very excited for that. I'm really excited for that. <laughs> um, and shout out to our other sponsors, Arson Books, New York Magazine, Evian Water, uh, Brooklyn Brewery, and the guys at Good Co. Yeah, and guilt. And guilt. That's yeah. awesome. And finally, I would say, what is your tip for anybody who actually wants to eat at St. Assam, since it's almost impossible? <laughs> come early. Yeah, come I mean, early. That's, yeah. Come early with as 
smallest group of people as you can. <laughs> you know, I actually we don't have a lot of big tables. Yeah. When I went the first time, uh, Justin Cherno, who is DJing on Wednesday from Tree Machine, he's the one who took me there. Um, we put our name. We went on a Monday. We put our names in. We got free wings over at Lodge, nice. and then when you guys called us, we came back, nice. which I thought was that's like a, that's a good sign. A good, uh, <laughs> it's a good, good, good punch. All right, well, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, appreciate it. Know, um, we'll see you guys both on Wednesday, Absolutely. and and uh, thanks.
Uh, Emil, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks for having me, dude. Um, Thanks for feeding me, too. What yeah. That? that first pizza, man, that the second Yeah, I had... What, what one was that? It Famous Original. Weird. Famous Original. It looked, it looked awesome. Yeah. Um, so... Your bio is pretty whimsical that you have out. So I, although I've read it, I know nothing about you. Mm-hmm. So uh, why don't you give us a little background story about who you are and where you're from and how you came to that's it? That. Yeah, I guess that's true. I'm gonna have to check out the bio. It's it's ever changing, but it, it maintains its whim- whimsical shape. No, it's like if I got it as a press release for a record, it's awesome. It's like really like sets the stage. Yeah, but when but it's like but when I'm to supposed appear to appear on a radio station yeah. and you're supposed to talk to me, you don't know if I'm from an insane asylum. I. Uh, I, uh, I don't know, I was born and raised in Boston, and I grew up uh, DJing, playing a bunch of different instruments, and um, I went to college, and uh, it was not the time for me, as I compulsively just made music in my tour Where room. did you uh, go to school? I went to uh, Skidmore College briefly, and then transferred to New England Conservatory, and decided neither were my cup of tea, and Got I it. sort of traveled around and started making a lot of electronic music, and uh, started singing, writing songs, and everything sort of combined itself, and I settled back in Boston, um, Around the time that a lot of uh, bands were up and coming, um, bands like uh, Yes Giantess and, and Passion Pit, who uh, who were sort of setting the stage for the sort of like electronic influence music that was coming out of that area, um, and then uh, I uh, started to put out some records um, at the suggestion of some of uh, some of the people in that network, and uh, eventually I got um, I got some press related to this uh, this fake press release that I suggested we put out with my friend who's now my manager which had me being uh, Emil Hirsch the actor um, putting out a, an extended play like as if he made it on the set of some movie um, and it was also kind of a fuck you to um, uh, music critics of the time of today um, the fact that people are celebrity horse and that music like be- they would pick it up just because oh, it's yeah. famous right? I, mean, I mean the question was like my music could be good or bad, people could like it or not, but what is going to make a blogger open up an email next to 200 other emails that day? It's the fact that they're a celebrity whore. And I am. And if you don't say you are, then you might be lying. I don't know, maybe you're not a celebrity whore. I'm like, I'm like, it depends on celebrity. Depends on celebrity? Yeah. yeah. It's like a 50-50. Yeah. Um, it is. I would love to hear who's not on your list. Who's not on your list? Of like, Who should be on your list that's not on your list? Like, even, like if I got an email like so-and-so started a band? No, no. If you got an email like so-and-so wants to be on your radio station. Oh, well, well, who, who would you not turn Yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not really fair because yeah, yeah. we, we book like 50 shows a year. Like, <laughs> anyone's welcome. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, so how was the response to that press release? Uh, it was, I mean, I got posts scattered everywhere. People were reviewing this uh, this little digital EP that I put out of some fun original music and it was all kind of people were confused they didn't know if it was some celebrities putting it out a lot of people got it um, because they were writing the review and they were like wait a minute there's no way that this is this fucking actor you know Yeah. and uh, then they giggled about it and they got the point there was a couple, there were a couple blogs internationally a blog in France that was like you'll never work in this town again because you you know you lied about so and so how's but, that, that working out for you yeah i don't you know who knows right I don't, I don't know what this this guy in his bedroom writing about music i'm sure he's pretty upset upset still but uh you know I, at the end of the day that's what people as we were saying earlier about um i guess when we weren't on air but um since he, he was leaving the music industry around the time uh it's it's difficult for musicians to get heard these days you're talking about joe leaving the, yeah, yeah yeah um and uh, I think people do a lot of things out of desperation. I didn't necessarily do I, I did that to poke fun at people. But um, at the end of the day, I, I got a great offer from an awesome label, and I moved to New York City and been working with you, some bands. You, you can name check the label. And, oh, okay, cool. It's Cantora Records. 
Thank you, Will. Um, thank you, Will, for getting me on here. And uh, you can name check your friend who's your manager, too. Yes, uh, Ben Krako. Thank you um, for everything, buddy. Why don't we hear a song? Yeah, awesome. Uh, What's it called? And it's this off the, is yeah, it's this off is off a record that's on Cantor Records right now. It's called Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. Uh, I wrote it about one of my roommates while I was living in this warehouse off Bedford, who secretly was like thirty six years old, pretending to be like twenty two, and uh, was yes. was trying to sleep with like this French girl who was like living with us, and it was kind of just hilarious. Um, and I can't go much further than that because I don't want to single anybody out. Not that, not like that. That wasn't like the most specific call. He was my old roommate. Well, there were there were twelve of us. Oh, okay. It was a little bit of a commune. Although I was like very anti-commune. I was sort of the Republican in the commune. Which was a very weird thing to be. Anyway, I'll shut up and play this song. Okay. <laughs> Licking its lips to a faraway place with a landing strip Pull me like a string toy, watch your mouth punch me in the stomach and the world pops out I'm hiding down with a cigarette stairs Say la vie, no I'm Alibaba and the 40 thieves Looting for gold like you wouldn't believe Looting for gold like you wouldn't believe Businessman on a two-way street And a ring on his finger and a lion is Draper's raging on the front lawn With a rifle in your face and a bathrobe on Mind down with the cigarette stairs Say la vie, no underwear Alibaba and the 40 thieves Looting for gold like you wouldn't believe Go like you wouldn't believe We are not, I confess A bunch of DJs taking your request So what should I wear Tonight, tonight Example set by mother and man Step a girl with a gun in her hands Polish up a quarter, put it in the machine Lovers only know what you let them say Madame with a cigarette stares Say la vie With hips for hats Isn't much more we can say about that So did he get the girl? 
uh, I moved out, but uh, a little while later I heard that uh, he moved to like you know a big fancy loft. He was also secretly rich, obviously. Oh. I, I don't know. I don't oh, know. was he slumming? Oh, he was slumming it. He was slumming it big time. And then he moved to one of those waterfront luxury places. And then I heard that uh, she couldn't resist, but oh. it's cool. It's cool, man. I mean, like I wasn't. I had a thing with her, but it wasn't a thing. It was sort of like a, we would go out and have fun and go to the movies and stuff and language barrier problems and you know the usual. Uh, so you moved to New York. You got the record deal, and mm-hmm. so you know how's your and when was what year was that? That was uh, a year and a half ago. Yeah. Okay, so how's like what has the last year and a half helped? It's been cool. I've been putting out releases. We put out an EP, the same EP that uh, I talked about. Um, Distributing under that the the little false um, celebrity impersonation thing, that was re-released by uh, Cantor Records, and they got some great response. And then we put out a full length uh, in October, um, and I've been gigging, you know, different setups with bands and opening for people and playing great venues around Brooklyn. Um, and uh, went to South by Southwest, so making the rounds and doing everything, uh, you know, to make things work and working on a new record right now. So. And so as a you know, new musician to kind of tie back into Joe, you know, you did the one thing, well, not the one thing, but you got your name out there. And so like, what have you done to follow it up? Has there been any more you know, creative PR moves? Or and I don't think, I wouldn't say gimmick because that's not the right word anymore. Well, yeah. And you said desperate to be heard, but I think it's all just like cutting across the noise. It is cutting across the noise. And it's, and it's, it's giving people a reason to listen. Um, but uh, in general... Uh, talking about how whimsical the bio is and, and, and stuff like that I mean I think um, once you have the attention of like a, a little group of people or a demographic um, I think it's really important you know however you get that attention you really start being yourself and if you if you put music out honestly that, that you want to make that that reflects who you are um, regardless of how you get their attention if you want to keep it you got to start you know pulling out of the well that will never drain you know so mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know I do a lot of remixes. It's you know it's it's awesome to come here with an acoustic guitar and play some some songs. That yeah, I was gonna say that that's when Will was like, "Hey, he's gonna play acoustic guitar," yeah. and I was like, "Okay," and I listened to the record. And I went, "Okay, yeah, um, yeah, okay." You know, and people and you know that's what I'm still trying to figure out is like what is the best way to represent what I do mm-hmm. with an instrument, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, there's there's playing something that that's passable or good or enjoyable, but there's also like having a style that people know you for and having that be reflected in every performance you do and stuff like that. But um, what was I talking about again? Is that pizza, dude? All the blood's in my stomach. No, I, I know. Um, just about, you know, cutting across the noise. Oh, cutting across I, the noise, yeah. I mean, um, uh, like I was saying, I do a lot of electronic music um, and remixing and covering artists and having, like, a lot of automated, you know, it's MIDI running through synths, uh, drum machines. I mean, a lot of what I do musically centers around that. Um, and that wasn't even completely reflected in the last release that I put out um, mm-hmm. as much as it was a collaboration with a bunch of different musicians and, and an orchestra and uh, a horn section and stuff it was um, it was a lot it was a lot more blown out on that record mm-hmm. but um, I think I'm starting to get a lot more positive response these days uh, as I realize you have to you have to sort of step up to the plate and you do have to do gimmicky things and you do have to do remixes for people that are a lot more well known than you and, and expect nothing in return but I mean I just did a, a cover of um, a neon Indian song Polish Girl um, oh yeah which was uh, uh, I was pretty happy with how, how it turned out. People, it's a really positive response. But we put it out. Um, Nylon magazine premiered it, and it's sort of do you want situations that do you want to drop it? You want to play it? Yeah, sure. If um, you do, you have a if you have actually, you can find the link up right now. But I, it's actually no, I was going to say, can you do it on the acoustic? No, I mean that's the thing. I mean, it's like 
There's no way I could do it justice. But if okay. you're talking about dropping it now, that's not. You know. Okay. I, sadly, I have to refuse. That's fine. Politely. Politely. Just say it's some legal stuff. Yeah, it's some legal stuff. Oh, okay. Um, so why don't we just hear another song then? All right. Cool. And the uh, the full name of the new record is uh, the record that yeah we're promoting now is called Lo and Behold, and it's Great. on Cantor Records. And uh, there's a single coming out in a couple weeks with an original B side. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll be promoting this all summer, playing some shows. So if you're listening, check it out. What's the song called? Um, uh, this is one that is not off the record. It's called Sleep in the Garden. All right, live on Snacky Tunes. to the studio to record a record are you thinking that it's you know you go and you're like oh, I'm gonna do 10 songs or you're like I've got 10 songs plus some b-sides plus some free songs like what's your approach these days you know for material well uh I'm in an interesting position because I write and record and produce and do and do most of that control it all you know do it myself um so I'm constantly churning out these little demos and pilots where I I uh I record tons of instruments and I do you know, these one or two minute things that are like a verse and a chorus and this idea of a song. And when I sat down to make a record, I basically take those and I put them all together and I play Tetris with them and see what works and what doesn't. <laughs> um, and uh, making this last record, I sort of sat down with um, Jake Aaron, who did a great job uh, engineering and co-producing it with me. Um, he was in a great band called Fort Lean and uh, touring bassist for Jamie Liddell. Um, I sat down with him and a team of other people and I was just like, let's make sense of all these and then uh, a good friend of mine, Michael McAllister, who uh, is an uh, awesome Berkeley veteran, great arranger, commercial music guy, um, worked on string arrangements, horn arrangements for some of the ones, and sort of tried to tie everything together and make things a little more homogenous, uh, but still very whimsical and still very uh, sort of out, out to lunch and all over the place. Because the idea with the record that we're currently um, 
supporting and and that one that came out recently it's like every song is kind of a different genre um and it's very eclectic and it jumps around um so for me i mean uh going into the studio is very different than a musician who goes in with an instrument or goes in with like some samples yeah or like a drum machine or like oh i have a synth and a drum machine and i'm gonna like sing into a reverb thing and it's it's uh it was more like there was like three or four weeks of like scratching our heads like how do we how do we do this how do we take what you do and and like work with a team of people who do this like professionally and not have everybody kill each other but um uh, more and more i'm learning from people that do you know who are like studied engineers and songwriters and everything that there's rhyme and reason to what they do and uh i think part of part of what makes me who i am for the people that do enjoy my music uh it's uh that I'm very very self-taught on all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, yeah, it's. But uh, nowadays I'm just um, songs start on the guitar and voice. Songs start with beats that I make. Songs start with uh, synth lines that I write. Um, but uh, a lot of the music I'm working on right now is very, um, very heavy synth-based stuff. Um, and but I do play a lot of guitar over it because I'm trying to merge the things that I do and have them all be performable but you know I could ramble on about that for a while but no, that, that's, that's a very good answer yeah, but um, most artists are in that position these days because I think we're in like the heyday of the you know bedroom producer mm-hmm. you know as like the respectable artist which in many respects you know the performers are going to start to take over again as we see the live music is more important you know people like Adele winning the Grammys I mean it's like um you know, but I could ramble about that for a while. No, I mean, I think there's there's value in that. It's like it's like amazing what one person can do, and I think that the it's easier to get started if it's just you. Yeah, you can put your band together, you can do that, but you're not negotiating, you know, different egos or schedules or things like that. Like, there's nothing holding you back. So, but I mean, Adele's interesting thing is like she's the voice. I mean, yeah, yeah there might have been people writing for her, but she was the one who was singing yeah. beforehand. So it's one person. It's I still think like it'll be some time before you know we'll see a ten person band get big get big or yeah. something like that you know two you know one two three maybe four piece at the most but it's an interesting point yeah uh so what do you have coming up this summer um i am working on uh original tracks to sort of b-sides to singles that we're putting out so um we had this cool idea that as we cut off um singles from the record that we we've already released that i'm going to um since they're all such different styles i'm like making original b-sides that fit with each track so like i have a very like urban music imitating track called cupid which is like this sort of timbaland beat with vocoder stuff and it's sort of like i was also for years i was actually a hip-hop producer um so um you know that juxtaposed with what i'm doing now it's a very strange mix but i've been working a lot trying to um support singles with new material that sounds like you know each one's uh turf um that's a great idea yeah, so, you know, just something I'm trying to mess around with. Uh, and, you know, writing another record, um, recording it now, producing it now um, for consideration for the fall time. I'm uh, producing a couple acts in the area. I'm uh, doing some session work for a couple prop projects that I'm also uh, engineering and mixing and helping write. And uh, I'm going to be in here a lot this summer, drinking the gin and juice over there. But I have to say, the first time I came in here, it was called Frozen Margarita. For Roberta's? Yeah. Yeah. And is that different, or is it the same exact thing? Because it, it told me it was just, it's basically frozen margaritas with gin. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, you know, different. It's different. But hey, it's, it's you know, cutting across the noise. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it is cutting across the noise. Uh, so uh, if people want to find you, download you, tweet at you, hit you up for shows, where can they find you? Um, Emilandfriends.fm. You can go to cantorrecords.com. Uh, you can look us up on Twitter. 
Emil and Friends, and that's not ampersand. The ampersand is not web supported. That is A N D Emil and Friends, and uh, just type us in on Facebook, and you'll find us. And uh, um, things are building up, so you know, come check us out. And we'll be putting out a lot of music on the net and playing some shows this summer. So awesome! Uh, well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Man. Um, you want to take us out with one more song? Uh, sure. Yeah. What are you? Gonna, what's the new song? The song right now is called Tune My Guitar. Oh, I love that one. And for all those who want to come, again, stay in a Salam Fetzal barbecue this Wednesday, Do it. 7 p.m., Good Company, 10 Hope Street. Some walk-up tickets left, but just like everything else that they do, get there early. Totally. Uh, I will play uh, one that was not in our good set, sort of like um, bonus track. Sweet. Okay. We gave Amazon. It's called The Beast. It's one of the first songs I ever wrote. Um, cool. Killed a bear in Nepal For recreation It was nothing at all Let's compare scars Check out the one on my back Tips for survival In a panther attack And so the beast got away Not before I tagged him With my homing dart Lives in trees anyway won't be long before I tear this place apart tear this place apart tear this place apart tear this place apart We met a mountain man while we were setting up camp He had a rifle and he carried a lamp Asked him where he's headed, he said somewhere up north I asked him what he's doing and I said I'm rich and I'm bored Travel the world for a change Looking for somewhere to hunt some game Business is good, I can't complain But city living has me going insane And I can't take anymore Can't take Trap which this panther couldn't resist. I had to call it all off, continue the trip. It's a matter of timing, and so the beast got away. Not before I tag him with my homing. Lives in the trees anyway. 
before I tear this place apart. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.